We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Both hands, let's ride. Both hands, let's ride. Mike Dub, let's ride. <laughs> Ellis Moodo. Oh, muted myself. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome <laughs> to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. Steven is out this week. Uh, he is still mourning uh, Utah's loss to UCLA, so he is day-to-day at this point. We'll see if he feels better by the weekend. But Arjun is here, and we are here to break down Chargers-Broncos this week. Big divisional game on Monday Night Football. So, Arjun, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, really excited for this Monday night football matchup. Didn't, you know, I, I think the my sentiment on the Chargers is is growing stronger now. Feel more, uh, I, I definitely feel more confident in them to potentially like make the playoffs now than I did a couple of weeks ago after two road victories where it might not have been pretty, but you know, pulling it out, I think that's that's the most important thing. So excited for this uh, matchup, and you know, excited to dive into some of the things I've put together. Yeah, uh, I mean, definitely we're in a better spot than we when me, you, and Tyler were all on a podcast after 38-10 to the Jaguars, um, which was a rough time uh, to be a Chargers fan. So uh, I do, I think the place to start is Russell Wilson. So I'm curious to see what you have on him in your scouting report, because when the Broncos traded for him, I think me and Steven were both pretty negative on it still. Tyler, I think, kind of leaned that way as well. Um, a lot of the analytics community just kind of like warned of this like decline that was coming. Broncos, you know, did all of this in spite of that. They signed him to the two hundred forty-five million dollar deal that at least ties him to the Broncos through twenty twenty-six, uh, and it has not been pretty so far. So I'm just curious from the data, everything we've seen so far this season. Just your personal opinion: Is there a rebound coming for Russell Wilson? Some positive regression, or is this sort of what Russell Wilson kind of is at this point? Yeah, full disclosure, like I was never in the Russell is like still a lead category. I didn't think he was, I did think he was declining, but I didn't think he was washed like he's showing right now. And um, I think there were Seahawks fans who, who tried to convince the public that, oh, all Russell Wilson needed was a good offensive line and he would become a top five quarterback. And it's like, 
no, that's that, that's not how it works. And we're seeing that even with a decent offensive line, not without Garrett Bowles, he's still struggling to throw the ball over the middle. He's still struggling to use his mobility like he once did. And in terms of his statistics, right now ranking 22nd in EPA per play, ranking um, he ranks a 24th in completion percentage over expected two metrics where he ranked very highly in his time with the Seahawks, especially during his elite years from 2017 to 2019 or 2019 to 2020. And I think this decline is, was kind of, it was there. Like, I think people who watched the film could see it. I think some people like the Russell fans or the Seahawks fans and the Broncos fans didn't want to believe it. But I think all the signs are pointing towards him slowly not becoming the quarterback he once was. So um, I am, I, I, I'm not as, confident in him as I once was and I'm definitely more confident in the Chargers defense going into this matchup yeah I think the Chargers defense should have a pretty decent uh you know matchup here uh they haven't well they did make Jacoby Brissett look pretty good last week uh unfortunately Jacoby kind of saved the Chargers by throwing him that free interception to Alohi Gilman uh but you know the Chargers have had some kind of mixed performances I feel against quarterbacks obviously very good game against Davis Mills, pretty good game against Derek Carr week one. And then there's also the Patrick Mahomes and Trevor Lawrence games, which were not favorable for the Chargers defense. Um, so, you know, I guess heading into this one, I think a lot of the talk has just been, you know, if this turns into a shootout game and the Chargers give up more than 20 uh, to this Denver Broncos team, there's going to be a lot of people looking at Staley, looking at this defense for, for a Broncos unit that has just struggled to score. Um, what do you think that the Chargers offense or Chargers defense, I think, should be kind of expecting this game from the Broncos offense? And is there, you know, a lot to be worried about? So with the Broncos, it's like, I think they're, I think Hackett has been trying to quote unquote, less let Russ cook. And that hasn't worked out at all. So the thing with like the let Russ cook movement is like, it worked for half a season. Then Brandon Staley just put it, put the nail in the coffin three times uh, in 2020, and now let Russ Cook doesn't exist anymore. So I'm not worried, really worried at all about the Broncos' passing attack, especially without Garrett Bowles, who was by far their most important piece on that offensive line. So I am worried a little bit about their defense. Um, you know, if, if I if you could put the, the shared screen up, you can see that the Broncos. Um, are the third best defense in the NFL right now per EPA per play. In terms of their ability to stop the pass, they rank fourth. And in terms of their ability to stop the run, they rank 13th. So an above average defense on both facets. And one of the key things about their defense is like, you know, I think they do a very good job of like forcing turnovers. Like uh, Caden Stearns, uh, two picks last week, like Patrick Sertan, quickly becoming like one of the better cornerbacks in the league. But there are a lot of weak links. And the thing with like, they lose Ronald Darby, who was kind of performing at expectation. So this is a, a, a table of the successful coverage over expected metric that I built over the summer. So right now, Patrick Sertan, Alex Singleton, and Kareem Jackson are the only three players who have a positive successful coverage over expected. So they're like not really weak links. Caden Stearns, Ronald Darby aren't really weak links either. But Kayvon Williams, Jonas Griffith, and Josie Jewell are all massive weak links on that Broncos defense. So they have been performing underexpected in coverage, given the assignment, given their, given the situation of the game. And I think those are the guys that the Chargers should be targeting, which is why I've been saying, I think this is the game that we need Keenan Allen, the, 
this is the game we need Keenan Allen back the most for because I think he can completely expose K1 Williams in the slot and any of these linebackers that Joe Lombardi could hopefully get a matched up on. So if anything, this is probably going to be a big like Gerald, Gerald Everett game, a big Austin Eckler game, especially if Keenan Allen is not playing because they need to take advantage of uh, some of these slot receivers. So um, that's kind of what I had in mind for, you know, the Chargers offense against the Broncos defense. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's a very good point. Just kind of going into this game because, you know, I, in terms of Keenan, I guess we should get to the injury report. Keenan was a limited participant in the walkthrough today. They did not have a full practice. So it was him, Hopkins, and Trey Pipkins that were limited. No one uh, did not participate or was registered as, uh, you know, did not practice, uh, I should say. So, um, you know, Keenan Allen seems to be on pace if he does not re-aggravate the hamstring injury between now and Monday to play on Monday Night Football, which to me, when I talked about it with Tyler on Tuesday, was one of my keys because I think this Chargers offense is going to have a little bit of a harder time moving the ball down the field if it's just going to be Patrick Sertan against Mike Williams, you know, for snap after snap after snap. And then if Patrick Zutan is able to lock that matchup down, then you're relying on Josh Palmer, who also showed up on the injury report and is banged up with an ankle and knee. You're relying on DeAndre Carter to probably get open. You're relying on some of these less reliable Chargers receivers. So Keenan Allen playing in this game would be huge. Um, I, I think Trey Pipkins playing in this game is huge, too. Obviously, he had the MCL sprain last week, uh, but we saw what Bradley Chubb on Thursday Night Football did to poor Matt Pryor. Uh, and, you know, so for me, having him in this game instead of Storm Norton, uh, instead of any of the other uh, tackles that the Chargers could have gone out and signed, I think is huge as well. Uh, and then the other injury update is, of course, Dustin Hopkins, who uh, did not play last week, and it was instead Taylor Bertolette who kind of got one of those game balls, made three field goals, uh, had the very good game. So, but it looks like Dustin Hopkins should be back this week. Yeah, and I think again, Keenan's the main one out of all of them. Gaining Keenan and gaining Keenan and losing Palmer is a trade-off I'm willing to make. I don't know about you, but um, yeah, I think I think those are the you hit on all the key ones, and getting Trey Pipkins back and not letting Storm Norton see the field is. Is definitely definitely the the key point on that offensive line, but um, we can jump into my the game plan that I obviously the scouting report that I put together. So I think we'll when we can get that up on the screen, um, we can yeah. So we'll start off obviously again just looking at the the Broncos defense. So you know Edgerow Evero is, is kind of an aggressive defensive coordinator this year. He He's blitzing at a pretty much an about a 32% rate, which is sixth in the NFL. Um, he sends an average of like 4.258 pass rushers a snap. So he's kind of around league average when it comes to that. But, you know, he obviously comes from the Brandon Staley system, right? He has a huge um, hump on six defenders in the box. And if we break it down by run and pass, it's, it's still a big hump on on uh, six defenders in the box. So uh, there's going to be a decent amount of light boxes for this Chargers offensive line. And I'm I'm really hoping, like I know I've been saying the Austin Eckler stuff, but he's looked really good the past week. And I think if the offensive line can establish the run game like they did in the past two weeks, I think, especially if Keenan Allen can't play, that is how they'll win this game is through the ground and not the air. Because I think this Broncos deep, like secondary is legit, even without Ronald Darby. And I don't think the Chargers have enough weapons to take advantage of the weak links the Broncos will have without Ronald Darby. So, 
you know, the, the light boxes. I hope the Chargers can take advantage of them in the run game. And, you know, I think this is a big test for Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler. Yeah, I think it's a big test for Joshua Kelly. It's also a test of Brandon Staley's resolve to hopefully see that he's uh, acknowledged that Joshua Kelly is the RB2 after, you know, the second week of that test to see if Sony Michelle gets more snaps or not. Uh, but Joshua Kelly seems to have taken RB2 kind of by the horns at this point. Um, I guess, what are the other factors for you in terms of this Chargers offense? Obviously, we saw uh, Jamari Salier last week play a pretty decent game against Miles Garrett, gave up six pressures, um, not going up against you know something crazy this week. Randy Gregory, a big loss for the Broncos, not able to play. Um, but uh, what do you sort of make of, I guess, the Chargers approach on the offensive line since they you know sort of do want a big game and, and want to establish the run against this Denver defensive front whose interior has obviously been proved, uh, improved with DJ Jones uh, and some of the other, you know, offseason acquisitions they made. Yeah. So, you know, th- this, I think this chart does a good job of showing that. So um, again, we're looking at the Broncos EPA per rush allowed. So this is how their defense performs in the running game. So when teams run inside, and it's exactly what you said, actually, which is, which is awesome when teams run inside. So between the guard and the center, whether it is on the, um, on the left left guard center gap or the right guard center gap, they average like a negative EPA per rush. So they're losing yards or losing points while doing that. Anytime a team runs outside of the tackles against the Broncos, it quickly becomes the most efficient run against the Broncos defense, right? So this is like, I know we've said, stop running toss plays, stop running the, the stretch plays, but that is what's I think going to have to work in this game. Like the stretch, the long stretch, the outside zones in I formation, the the you know whatever they were running against the browns which was working outside of the tackles they bring that back for this broncos game and i think they'll see a lot of success because look like when teams run to the left side outside of the tackles um there's only 10 rushes so again very limited sample size they're averaging about 0.5 epa per rush so teams running outside of the tackles has netted them five points against the broncos so far in 2022 so i think that should be a good indication of what the game plan should be and, you know, their strength lies in DJ Jones and, and Draymond Jones on the interior and staying away from that, especially where Matt Filer hasn't been playing well this season and going and leaning into your strength with Trey Pipkins and Jamari Salyer tooth. Never thought I'd utter that statement is, I think, how you uh, how you win this game on the ground. Yeah, um, yeah I, I will give credit to Matt Filer, who sort of rebounded a little bit against the Browns uh, compared to how he was playing the previous weeks, but definitely... It is weird to talk about it in terms of having Zion Johnson, Corey Lindsley, and Matt Filer in the interior, and somehow we're a little bit more confident uh, in Jamari Salyer and in uh, Trey Pipkins, which is not what I expected to say. Of course, on last Saturday's show, I gave Trey Pipkins Chargers Offensive MVP uh, in our quarter season awards, um, and he's obviously been really great. Um, you know, uh, Randall brings this up in the chat. Um, is there any significant difference between uh, Browning, who's probably going to be the you know uh, primary yeah. pass rusher for the Broncos, or Gregory, or is that kind of like a uh, toss up at that point? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to talk about that point. I actually think the the Baron Browning thing plays into this graph even better. Like Baron Browning weighs like 240 pounds. Like he's not. Like he's a very light edge rusher, right? Like we're talking like Chris Frump light. <laughs> so Trey Pipkins, who's had, I think, a very good season in pass blocking and run blocking. And if you, if I scroll down all the way, I mean, you'll see, like, look at this. 
or that's the wrong one, but Chargers running to the right side of their offensive line has been absolutely electric this year. Like running to the left side for some reason has just been pathetic. I mean, I'm just going to blame File here for that. But running, even if it's between the center and the guard or between the guard and the tackle, has netted them positive yards or a positive EPA per rush on you know on average. So um, I think Browning is a showed a lot in the pass rushing department. I would like to see him set the edge a couple of times against a six seven guy like Trey Pipkins. So I'm not too worried about Browning in the run game at all. To be honest, I do fear him in the pass game where you know his speed could cause him some could could cause Pipkins some issues as we've seen with like Max Crosby versus Trey Pipkins in week one. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair point. Um, definitely a little bit concerned about his speed, but Trey Pipkins, you know, through the first five weeks still, uh, I think Stephen posted some stat today. He's been like the eighth best like tackle um, in the NFL by some statistical category. Um, so that's crazy. I didn't mean to mention this earlier, uh, but Geno Smith is third in EPA and NFL composite uh, come up score. Uh, Russell Wilson is 26th. Uh, so that is obviously not a great stat for uh, the Broncos in general. And Gino continues. Uh, we're going to have to play him next week uh, in the Chargers Seahawks. So um, I guess we could get to the defensive side of the ball a little bit. And I know you've caught a lot of flack on Twitter for the JC Jackson stuff. Um, but I do think that is kind of the most pressing issue for the Chargers defense right now. Obviously, you know, last week against the Browns with Amari Cooper, uh, and Joku, and even Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, all three of them kind of gave um, J.C. Jackson a little bit of trouble, and I'm just curious to see, uh, is he sort of due for a bounce-back game in this one with how the Broncos receivers have been playing? Uh, I see a lot of red on that chart, and or is this kind of just, I guess in the same vein of the Russell Wilson question, sort of what J.C. Jackson is at this point, um, or does he sort of you know find his footing a little bit this game? Yeah, so I'll start off by like, First of all, the table, like the the colors, ignore that. <laughs> um, if if they're in the if a team if a player has a positive total EPA, that's good. If they have a positive EPA per target, that's good. Okay. Uh, it's just that Sutton has a ton of fucking targets, and he's he's the guy that's getting all of the red zone looks and touchdowns there. So, okay, so ugh, the JC thing, and I'm not a film guy. I haven't really like had the time at all to just watch like his coverage snaps. I watched it during the game. He looks like he gets routed up. So my thing with J.C. Jackson, especially in this game, is I do think he's due for a bounce-back game if the Chargers use him correctly. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think J.C. should be on Cortland Sutton the entire game, and Asante Samuel Jr. should be on Judy the entire game. It seems like J.C. Jackson struggles versus good route runners, right? Like Amari Cooper turned him around a couple times, um, and in week two, like he was – I forget who he was matched up on, but – guys that can do a double move and take you over the top. That's what Jerry Judy is. Sudden, he's more of the bigger guy, like the contested catchers guy. He's not going to he's not going to turn you around. He's not going to break you um, on his route. I think if they put him on Cortland Sudden and trust ASJ against Judy and have them just shadow those matchups individually, they'll have success. But I think if they try to force JC to play a role that he shouldn't, which is go against Jerry Judy, I do think they'll have some I think the Broncos could have some success exploiting that matchup, especially since JC hasn't been that good at all. And I think Chase, like it's obviously way too early to admit it or not to admit anything, but like it's way too early to say he hasn't been good uh, or he's not going to be good. But I think it's a fair statement to say through three games he's played, he hasn't looked good at all. He hasn't looked like the $16.5 million 
cornerback. Hell, he hasn't even looked like a $20 million cornerback that people thought he was going to be, right? So I think that's how I would approach this matchup. Is that similar to what you're thinking is also? Yeah, um, pretty similar to what my thinking is. Obviously, if you have um, Bryce Callahan, I think that's obviously a huge help in this game as well. And that's a you know fortunate thing for the Chargers too because Bryce Callahan has obviously sort of been uh, a little bit of Mike Williams' kryptonite uh, at times in the past. So for the Chargers to kind of have him in his back pocket or in their back pockets, I should say, with the Broncos missing Ronald Darby, um, I do think is you know obviously Bryce Callahan one of the best pickups so far of the Chargers season if he can stay healthy. So I think that's good for them, but. Uh, yeah, I do think route runners and speed has generally been giving JC Jackson the most problems at this point. So you probably also have to match him up against Corlin Sutton anyway, given that it's just kind of, the, you know, number one versus number one. Um, but obviously, Brandon Staley has kind of, you know, deviated from that in the past, depending on what the game plan is and from snap to snap. Uh, so that's probably what I would do. Um, I, I did still think, though, it's like, Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't exactly a route runner either, and even he was kind of giving Chasey Jackson the business. David and Joku kind of, you know, blasting Chasey Jackson off of the line as well. So it's just like neither of those guys are really route runners. The you know, and Joku kind of a usually a yak kind of guy, uh, and then you kind of have Donovan Peoples-Jones is more of a contact catch guy too. So I, I do still feel pretty nervous about that matchup with Sutton, even if you know he's not going to be this you know route runner technician guy like you know say keenan allen is yeah 100 percent agree um i just wanted to talk also a little bit about the broncos like passing game so it does seem like russell wilson prefers throwing the ball deep to the left side of the field where he's had a decent amount of success you know i think the the, the joke is like russell doesn't throw over the middle which he doesn't like he throws over he throws to the right and the left way more than he does over the middle and he has to actually like weirdly enough just doesn't have success throwing over the middle um on 26 throws of um of 26 throws where the ball travels one to nine air yards he's averaging a negative 0.15 epa per play and like usually this number i think is positive if i check herbie's um yeah, like, look at that. Like, throwing over the middle and short, like, Herbert's averaging 0.37 EPA per play. The fact that Russell Wilson's averaging a negative EPA per play on, on those throws are, is, is kind of just indicative of, like, where he is as a quarterback right now. So it, it does sound like it seems like he um, likes to favor the left side of the field when throwing the ball deeper down the field. Um, but when he likes to throw, you know, shorter, it is mostly towards the middle and the right side of the field. Yeah, um, I definitely think Russell Wilson for his career was always a little bit below average throwing over the middle of the field. That was never his strength. Wasn't necessarily like this Drew Brees, Tom Brady type pocket passer either where, you know, he could just kind of like go through his reads and and do all that kind of stuff. Right. He always kind of made plays with his legs. And obviously that's not what he's doing uh, this year. In addition to the fact that the arm is kind of waning and all that. Um, I guess I want to get into the run game because obviously the Chargers were in for quite a ride last week with, you know, the explosion of Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt. Um, Javante Williams tearing his ACL is obviously really bad for the Broncos. Pretty big break for the Chargers um, in in this one, not having to go against him. Melvin Gordon is coming into the picture. Uh, Latavius Murray is going to be sort of their RB one or two, depending on how they decide to split the reps there. What can Chargers fans expect, I guess, a little bit from the Broncos running game here? 
uh, and, and sort of what degree of success do you think that they can have uh, against this Broncos run game? And obviously, are they sort of due from a bounce back from last week? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought it up because when I was like reading my report, I'm like, the one thing, the the one thing the Broncos were good at was running the ball outside of left tackle, outside the end gap. <laughs> and now they don't have Garrett Bowles. So you can significantly downgrade whatever the hell they're going to do outside of the left tackle end gap. Um, you know, they, they average a negative EPA per rush when running to any other gap, whether it is the left guard, left tackle gap, or the right guard tackle or end gap. So, you know, I'm not really worried at all about this, this Broncos run game. I'm excited to see a Melvin Gordon revenge game because I know it's not going to happen and he's probably going to fumble more than he eclipses a hundred yards. Right. And I think, you know, the Chargers should feel comfortable running. Like if I go to the Chargers thing, like they should be comfortable running their normal six man in the box, even if it's, if, if they know it's going to be a run play. So I'm not really too worried about the Broncos run game in general, because right now, like Mike Boone is, is has been their most efficient uh, runner. And that comes in a very, very limited sample size. Like, like look at Melvin Gordon. It's just an absolute privilege. Yeah, um, I, I just every week I see some stat. It's like he has like four fumbles in four games or whatever, and like he just he just keeps adding to that. Um, I I don't know like what. It, I just can't believe that at one point in time the Chargers offered him like a four year forty million dollar contract like back in the day, and Melvin Gordon turned that down. And you know this is obviously what he's doing in Denver now. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, along that offensive line, cause we obviously talked about them losing Garrett Bowles on the left side. They have a couple options that they can do. Probably just going to stick Calvin Anderson, uh, in there. They do have Billy Turner, uh, who I guess they could kind of switch it up if they wanted to do Billy Turner at left tackle and Calvin Anderson at right, depending on how they want to address the, the Garrett Bowles thing. Um, any particular difference with either option or is it just a, a lot of loss and success with obviously Garrett Bowles uh, going down? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think you're muted. Oh, my bad. I think first off, ignore this this title. It should be Denver. I don't know why it's Den Denvilan. Denvilan, the Denvilan Broncos. I think something went wrong when I did Control F and replace. But this should be Denver. But I think not having um, 
not having Garrett Bowles might entice the Broncos to go into some heavier personnel to try to offset that loss, right? So um, actually, I think I should show this graph first. So like this is looking at, you know, the the frequency at which um, teams employ certain personnel packages. So Denver, as you can see, kind of like below average in terms of 11 personnel, they do run a lot of 12 personnel relative to the league average, and they like to run a decent amount of 13 personnel. So I think what we'll see is they increase their use of 12 and 13 personnel. And this was a really interesting stat. I, I think it was Mike Clay who said it, but Albert O only comes on the field for passing plays. Like he's not on there when teams run the ball. I have, I think I can start checking this from next week because I'll have enough data to make some reasonable conclusions. But when the, when Eric Saubert or Eric Tomlinson are the primary tight ends on the, on the field, whether it is an 11 or it's 12, they're going to be running the ball. So I think that could be helpful to do some type of like a tell for like guys like Kenneth Murray or Drew Tranquil who are likely to be crashing the, the whatever gaps they're supposed to crash in the run game and their run fits. So like I said, I think they do transition to more of a heavier personnel earlier in the game just to see how it works because, you know, in their, in terms of their like performance efficiency wise out of each personnel, like, they've been terrible. Like they, out of 11 personnel, they're averaging negative 0.144 EPA per play, which is like absolutely horrendous. And out of 12 personnel, they're less horrendous, but they're still bad. So um, I guess, you know, that's kind of like the thing I would say when they go 11 personnel and they bring Albert O1, it's probably going to be a pass. Um, but when they go 12 personnel and they bring Albert O1, it could be a pass, it could be a run. I think, you know, they're, they, they do mix it up well as you can see like they're none of their pass rate over expected is over or below 10 or negative 10. so i think they do a good job of mixing up runs and passes out of certain personnel but the personnel they bring in i think is a tell for whether or not they go run or pass in that situation yeah no i, I think that that's definitely interesting just how they've used albert o um this year in particular on that offense uh, I, I do want, want to get to something that's probably going to be a story in the game based on how Nathaniel Hackett's uh, season has gone uh, in terms of game management and, and having to hire Jerry Rosberg to be the new uh, game management guy. Brandon Staley obviously coming under fire last week for the decision to punt. Not as much fire as he would have come under if Cade York had made that field goal. What do you think of both teams, I guess, from a game management perspective now uh, in terms of how they approach fourth downs, how they approach field goals, aggressiveness, and, and all of that that can factor into the game? Yeah, I think so. You know, last year, um, Brandon Silly was like very, very aggressive, and we're not really, we're not really seeing that anymore, unfortunately. Um, but I, I do think there is a chance that with a backup kicker, we could see that come back. And we did see that on the fourth and two. And I did, I was considering just doing like a 10 minute video about that decision alone and kind of explaining that. But I, I just felt like there's no need to introduce it back into the TL. I think people are going to hate it or love it regardless of what I say. So it's, it's going to be tough for me to kind of like sway people. But um, I did want to share this because this was a, something I actually helped to put together on the PFF site. So it's just like looking at like team power rankings and stuff. Um, but there are some cool graphs that we can look to uh, determine fourth down decision-making. So you can see here, this is the win probability teams lose by kicking for, kicking field goals or punting it on fourth down. 
The Chargers, unfortunately, have lost the third most win probability by kicking or punting. But luckily, the Broncos are fifth. So both these teams have been pretty bad at like doing the opposite of what they're or they've been good at doing the opposite of what they should do. And they've been bad at doing what they should actually do from a win probability perspective. Um, and you can see here, like this is a good graph to kind of like illustrate, um, you know, the frequency at which teams go for it versus punting versus field goal. So like Chargers have gone for it the uh, seventh most times or have the seventh highest rate of going for it on fourth downs in the NFL, which is, you know, it's good, but I think they've, they haven't gone for it in situations where they should go for it. Right. And then you can see the um, Broncos are right here, down here. So that's why they show up very highly in the other graph because they don't go for it at all. I mean, they sh they're like in the bottom 10 here. Right. So um, I think that's a, it's a good way of, of like showing that both teams haven't done a good job of game management, especially on fourth downs and like, I I don't really know what this what the Chargers' identity on fourth down is anymore because it's kind of just like up in the air at this point of what Brandon Steele wants to do when it comes to fourth down. Yeah, and obviously we saw the other AFC West game uh, on Monday football where Josh McDaniels uh, made a couple aggressive calls um, that probably cost the Raiders uh, that game in terms of going for two uh, on on that uh, conversion. And Andy Reid plays it as conservative as Andy Reid continues to play it. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to see all of these guys attitudes towards fourth downs. Cause obviously they're going to see the Broncos again down the road. Um, and we'll see if Nathaniel Hackett is still the coach by then. Um, I guess that'll be interesting depending on how badly this Broncos season could theoretically go. Um, all right. I am going to put you on the spot here. What is your prediction for chargers Broncos Monday night football? Okay, I think I think it's going to be more of a defensive struggle than anything, or defensive battle, offensive struggle. Um, it, it really depends on Keenan. I think if they have Keenan back, it just adds a completely new dimension to this offense. And as I showed in the beginning, like K1 Williams is a weak link in that in that defensive secondary. So if they can get that reliable slot receiver back, I think it will definitely help um, the offense. So I'm you know if if he's playing. I'm going to go with the bold one, like Chargers winning 28 to 14. If he doesn't play, I think we could see Brandon Silly be more conservative, especially since he didn't convert last week, something like like 24 to 20, where they kind of like let the Broncos hang around, hang around, and then they eventually put the nail in the coffin. I do think the Chargers win this game. They lose to the, this Broncos team that just lost Ronald Darby and Garrett Bowles, and Russell Wilson just had shoulder surgery. I am going to reevaluate my my stance on the freaking team because they've they, they've I'm, I'm bought in like i'm bought back in i'm feeling good even with, without slater and bosa like i i think they have shown it showed me enough but you know they've they've done this to me before so i'm trying not to get hurt again yeah and the broncos have always been a tricky one because just when you think the broncos are bad they somehow you know and in, in the last couple of years it's been drew yeah. lock who has come out and somehow beaten the chargers um and you know obviously russell wilson's kind of down bad at the moment um but yeah i i do think i am bought into the idea that the chargers will win this game obviously divisional games always weird um but it, it'll be interesting and me and tyler and stupid i think will be making our predictions on sunday uh, and now I want to get to Arjun's bets of the week. Arjun, what are some of the bets that you are watching uh, this week? Mm -hmm. I forget what my record was last week. I know I definitely hit on that Eagles minus three first half 
Hell but yeah. I'll have to go back and check. Um, I think I, I think I ended up pretty well last week, but I do have some plays I really like this week. Um, and this is going to be the probably the first and only time you hear me saying this. I love the Bengals in this week. So Bengals minus one and a half in New Orleans. I'm, clip, I'm clipping that out, by the way. I am clipping out. I love the Bengals. Yeah, have to. Have to. But I, I think Bengals should not be one. And I think it should be at least three-point favorites um, in New Orleans. Like, I think Joe Burrow showed me enough growth to where I can trust him as against too high, taking the checkdowns when necessary. Um, their defense is very good. And I think the Saints offense, their three – uh, starting receivers didn't practice at all on Wednesday. And I haven't checked the injury report today, but even if they do play, I still feel confident in this Bengals defense to hold their own. And I think it's going to be a good homecoming reunion for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And like, look, if the Bengals lose this game, it's better for me because I have the Bengals to miss the playoffs ticket. So it's kind of like a win in either scenario, but I do really like them to cover one and a half in this game. Um, I also like Browns minus two and a half. Um, at home against the Patriots, look, look, look. The Browns are one of the best teams that have a losing record right now. Their run game is insane, and I think they're going to dominate on the ground versus a Patriots defense that's, that's kind of that did shut down a very potent Lions offense. But I don't trust the the Patriots offense at all. The Lions defense sucks. Um, oh, John told me I hit all my bets last week. Hell yeah! So got to tell me this week. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think the Patriots are going to have much success on, on offense. They might slow down Jacoby Brissett, given that Belichick has some familiarity with, with Brissett from his time in new England. But I do think that Nick Chubb is going to run wild all over new England. And this is pretty much a must win game for the Browns if they want to even compete for the playoffs. So I like that. And, um, I don't really have any other bets. I kind of like from spread plays. I'll give out one for tonight. Cole Komet under receiving yards. I, I got it at 29 and a half. I would take it down to 27 and a half. Um, the commanders have not allowed a number one tight end to hit 29 receiving yards or more at all this season. Cameron Curl is performing very well in coverage. He shows up very highly in, in my successful coverage over expected metric. Windy game, you know, Komet's probably not going to uh, – get many targets or fields is probably not going to throw the ball at all i don't mind justin fields under 0.5 passing touchdowns as well i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't throw a touchdown at all um so yeah those are my three bets bengals minus one and a half browns minus two and a half commit under 29 and a half receiving yards so go lock those in if you want to tail and you know shoot me a message if if we cash together <laughs> yeah um i don't know if i'm gonna watch the um, commander's <laughs> bear stinker tonight uh, I'm still kind of embarrassed that I watched parts of Colts Broncos last week. So still recovering from that. Also, fuck Carson Wentz. Um, but I do, uh, I guess, oh, I have to ask you, Eagles Cowboys, where are you leaning? Are the Eagles still a house or does the house get yeah, blown yeah. over? I think I think Eagles win. I don't know if they cover though. Six is a lot of points for a divisional six, game. Six is a lot of points. The Cowboys defense has been playing pretty well. Um, yeah. All right, we'll take about four or five minutes of questions here. If you guys have any questions for Arjun uh, about the game or just anything with the Chargers in general, we can get to it now. Uh, so post your questions in the chat as always. Um, uh, 
doesn't seem like we have any questions unfortunately. doesn't seem like we have too many questions uh, i did just see on uh, was it rapaport or Schefter that said that russell wilson released a comment that his shoulder is apparently feeling fine uh heading into this is. game uh so that's obviously uh, a little bit agenda pushing uh after his surgery or not a surgery he got an injection right yeah. um I, yeah, I don't know. Whatever it was. <laughs> Whatever it was that'll um <laughs> that'll see help him see KJ Hamler. I don't know. Um Randall <laughs> Randall Turner asked any political fallout from Keaton's tweet <laughs> um, against Brandon Staley's decision making process. Uh, Brandon Staley says that they squashed whatever beef there yeah. was. So I, I guess I don't think there is fallout. Um but I guess if Brandon Staley uh, isn't so consistent in his decision-making going forward, that that could be a problem. Uh, Mouscott said, any thoughts on Salier's matchup against, uh, I would imagine Salier's going to be up against Browning, right? Or, I think, or would it be flip-flopped? I think Browning lined up over Pryor and then Trout was oh, over okay. the left tackle. But yeah, okay. I mean, Salier's, Salier's held his own. I mean, as long as he's not Storm Norden-esque, I think I'm fine with, you know, whatever he does. He's been playing at a pretty high level. So um, in, in my colleague Timo Riske's graph that he posted today, Sawyer had the highest difficulty of assignment um, as charted by PFF among all tackles in 2022 so far in two games. So um, I think that's a, that's a very good sign. And the fact that he's been performing at an above average level is, is very encouraging. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I do think this is interesting. Um, not so much playing fantasy, but I guess what percentage Keenan is kind of going to be this week? Because we did see that Thursday night football game a couple of years ago um, where the, you know, Keenan was sort of recovering from like a groin hamstring injury. And then the Chargers played the Raiders and he was mostly used as a, as a decoy throughout the game. But then again, that was on a short week. Um, obviously has re-aggravated this hamstring injury before. So I'm just curious what capacity he actually, or they actually feel like he can go um, in, in terms of this one. Um, I guess this is the big question because Adderley was benched, uh, obviously, for uh, Gilman last game. Gilman gets a lucky interception from Jacoby Brissett. Um, any big takeaways from the first game of Gilman starting over Nasir? I mean, outside of the one interception, didn't really seem like Gilman added anything that Nas didn't. Didn't really seem like Gilman had any splash plays that I wouldn't expect from Nas. So, I mean, it was just like just an average performance, something I expected from Gilman. I, but I was happy with his interception, and obviously that changed the course of the game completely. Yeah. And, and I guess any big thoughts on Nas so far, if he can kind of rebound from what his season has been to this point, or is it is the book kind of... The book kind of done there uh, on his season so far i mean i definitely hope he rebounds i think it's at least good that he's the he's the guy they bring on in dime packages and it's not michael davis so like at least he has somewhat of a role but it is concerning that he got he lost his job to alohi gilman <laughs> that's uh it's very depressing yeah and, and michael davis is another one obviously played zero defensive snaps last week don't know how many he will play this week, um, but it will be interesting to watch that as well. 
All right. I think that is our time for today. Arjun, as always, thanks for joining us. And any final thoughts heading into this great Thursday night matchup or uh, the mon- matchup on Monday? Um, no, just, you know, hopefully it's a it's at least a good game. Um, but, you know, we're always always rooting for the Chargers to win here. So as long as they pull out the win, ugly or, ni- or, ugly or not, I think uh, that's the main goal. So really excited for that. So excited to see how everything plays out. Yeah, excited to see how everything plays out. I think me, Steven, and Tyler will be going live on Sunday for Q&A before the game. Uh, and then after the game, obviously, will be our post-game show. Uh, so, uh, everyone, bolt up, let's ride, and hopefully we beat the Broncos. <laughs> see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.